All right, good morning again. I forgot to mention before, as I usually do, um, we have a new member uh, that's placing membership with us, uh, Allison Club. If you want to wave your hand, hello. Allison has decided to place membership with us here. Uh, Yeah, that's cool. Uh, If you haven't got a chance to meet her, come say hello. Uh, She's a student at FIT. Uh, She's super busy, but she loves being a part of our church so far. I haven't scared her off just yet. Uh, but we'll see what happens after. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> we're glad to have you, Allison. Um, uh, so today we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, called Welcome the Message for our sermon titled today. And we'll see what that has to do with anything later on. But to begin, I want us to have a thought process together. Have you ever had an unwelcome guest into your house? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe whenever I come over to your house and I'm an unwelcome guest. Um, But I remember when we first moved here, I had a very unwelcome guest in my house. It was none of you, okay? Uh, But, you know, when you move, you have to go to Home Depot over and over again getting things. And uh, I went to Home Depot, and I was attacked by a woman who said, hey, would you mind filling out this survey? If you do, you get $20 gift cards to Home Depot. I should have known uh, that that was more to the story. I was like, sure, I'll do that. Fill out the survey. I had to agree to this guy coming to my house and telling me how bad my water is. Um, he was a really great guy. I don't want to, he was actually really nice. We had a lot, he was actually a Christian too. We had to talk about our churches and stuff. So it was really fun to share that. Time. But he arrived at my house at about 6.30 and he didn't leave until about 8.30. And the, the most annoying part about this is that he was going through his, like, his script that he said, and every time Michelle would walk away from the table, he would stop, because he couldn't go further into his script unless both of us were sitting there. And around 8 o'clock, 7.30, 8 o'clock, my kids are getting ready for bed. It's like they had school the next day. I was like, man, can you please just do this thing? I'll sign whatever I need to sign to say that you did what you needed to do. Uh, but he would stop every time, and he was a very unwelcome guest in my house. Um, like I said, very nice guy, but not a welcomed guest in my house. Maybe you've had a similar experience. But I guess thinking about an experience like that, I want us to also think maybe about this question as well. What is the difference between a welcomed guest and an unwelcomed guest? Okay, an unwelcomed guest, I've had many other people come to my house since trying to sell me, you know, bug uh, repellent. Right to sell me uh, security systems, things like that. And typically, when they come to my house, I don't let them in my house anymore. Okay, we usually stand outside my front door. Right, I might have the door cracked open a little bit, saying, "Hey, please don't come back here." You know, very nice as possible. They'll say, "I'll come back next week." Please don't. Okay. We have this general stance, like I don't want you to come past this entryway of my house. I want you to stay outside. Please do not come in. With unwelcome guests, we're not prepared. You don't have any food ready, right? Between an unwelcome guest and a welcome guest, think about the welcome guests that you bring into your house, right? Please come in. Bring your bags in. Are you staying with us? The guest room is all set up. We have clean sheets on there, clean pillowcases. Everything is set up for you. We got dinner ready for you whenever you're ready to eat. Whenever you're ready, we got everything that you could possibly need. You are a welcome guest. And thankfully, a lot of you have been like that for us. You know, you've, you've welcomed us into your homes. We've shared meals, maybe not at your house, but at a restaurant together. I know during COVID, it's been kind of strange. Um, but there's a big difference between a welcome guest and an unwelcome guest. 
And I want you to have those two separate kind of ideas in your head today as we talk about 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And so uh, this, excuse me, before we get there, I don't want to see any spoilers there. We're going to Acts 17 if you want to go there. Um, but the church in Thessalonians, I don't know if you're very familiar with it. It's actually very similar. I found a lot of similarities to us, to this church in Thessalonica. Uh, this church that we read about in the Bible, it was a port city and it was also a very good agricultural city. It was a large city in the area. A lot of Jews, a lot of Gentiles, a lot of people living in this area. And I start to think, it's a lot like kind of like Florida where we live, right? We have ports. We're not necessarily bringing in, you know, goods. We're bringing in cruise ships, right? Those are our ports nearby us, right? Um, we have agriculture. I love that you can drive down 95 and just like a mile that way or that way, you know, you have the beach and then you have like cows and stuff. That's how Florida is, right? I see a lot of similarities to that. And so Thessal- Thessalonica is a very, very populated city. They have good agriculture, good port, a lot of influence, people coming in and out of the city. And so it's actually a perfect place for Paul to come and do what he does in cities, right? If you read all through Acts, Paul goes to places, he often goes to the synagogue, and he does his thing, right? He goes and he tries to talk to people about this Jesus that he's interacted with. And if we read about the church in Thessalonians before we get to 1 Thessalonians, we need to know what's going on, okay? So like I said, we're in Acts chapter 17. And Paul gets to Thessalonica, and he's doing what he always does. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on the third excuse me, on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and raise from the dead and rise from the dead. Excuse me. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. He said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas as did a number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. So that's a big, awesome yay, right? Good job, Paul. He's having some success in Thessalonica. That's awesome. But as was Paul's also kind of thing that he would do, he'd have maybe a little bit too much success. So the people in Thessalonica that were not being converted had a big problem with Paul, okay? Acts 17.5. But other Jews were jealous. Man, They were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. Not a great environment. I can say that I'm glad I'm not in this church at this time. And not only were the people in Thessalonica mad that Paul was there in their city doing what he was doing, they were so mad that they followed him, okay? After Paul went from Thessalonica, he actually went to Berea, and he was having some success in Berea. And guess what happened when he was in Berea? The Thessalonian church heard, uh, excuse me, I didn't put that in there. I'm sorry. Let's read together. Acts 17, 13. My apologies. Acts 17, 13. He had some success in Berea, and he continues on here. But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too. These people are dedicated to chasing down this guy, Paul, because he was having so much success in the Thessalonian area, right? Agitating the crowds and stirring them up, the believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. I read all of this and I give you all this context so that you understand what the environment was in Thessalonica that Paul was preaching to. It was not friendly, 
Okay? Very hostile environment. This is why Paul admires this church in Thessalonica so much. Okay? This is the words that he says to them in 1 Thessalonians 1.3. And typically when you read Paul's letters, he has very similar greetings. He'll say good things about them sometimes. And he'll, he'll say, we thank God because of you. But when I read 1 Thessalonians 1.3, I just sense admiration. Okay? We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we read out Acts 17 and we hear about the adverse situations that Paul was in, it just makes these words that much more special to me. I don't know if it does for you. You can just kind of see these people. It's almost like putting a face to these faceless people, right? This work produced by faith. Your scripture, your, your text might just say work of faith, labor of love and endurance and hope. But you can kind of see these people. And now knowing the backstory, you know how special that is, right? That the work they're doing means something. They have truly committed their whole selves to Christ, right? This is not just some inspirational sweater they put on Sunday mornings, right? That sometimes we kind of might get into the habit of doing, right? Their whole selves were committed to this word that was preached to them by Paul. On Wednesday nights, we're, we're having this great study on Wednesday nights through the book Radical by David Platt. If you're at all interested, please come. This is a, a, a small uh, advertisement for that. It's been a great study. Uh, But this church kind of reminded me about a quote that we read last Wednesday. This is in the context of uh, David Platt's actually at this church in this small, small area of Asia where they're very, very highly persecuted. And David Platt has been asked to teach for like 12 hours at a time in this small room with like 60 people. And these people, most of the people that were coming were farmers, And typically, if you're a farmer, you don't want to leave your field unattended. But this is what they said. When they were receiving this word from David Platt, this is what they said. We will do whatever it takes. Most of us are farmers and we work all day, but we'll leave our fields unattended for the next couple of weeks if we can learn the Old Testament. They were so hungry for the word that they just wanted more. And they were willing to leave their source of income to waste in a way in order to pursue what Christ might be speaking to them through David in, that, in those uh, studies they were having. That's the kind of mentality I think the Thessalonian church has with them. Their whole self is dedicated to whatever Paul is talking about. It's special to them. They are going to work and labor and love because of this message that they received from Paul. And so as we continue... Um, With what we know about the church, it makes me wonder sometimes. I don't know if you do this when you read scripture. I ask myself, what would I do? Do Anybody ever do that? I do. And I think about the Thessalonian church in in reading about Acts 17 and hearing all the persecution that they they were facing. I, I think about, what would I do in that situation? Would I be able to stand up to the persecution? Would I be able to stand strong? And we didn't read about it in Acts 17, but people were going to jail too. Right? In Thessalonica. And the more I asked myself that question, the more I realized the further I got away from the answer, if that makes any sense. I kept thinking, what would I do? What would I do? But when I read 1 Thessalonians, I realized that's not the same question they're asking themselves. This is what the Thessalonian church does. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. 
they thought less about me and more about Christ. How can I imitate Christ more? Because if we look back in what, what, what they say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, the work produced by faith, the labor pr- uh, prompted by love, and the endurance inspired by hope. As humans, we can do that for a little bit, okay? We can be fake for a little bit. I can fake love, I can fake hard work, and I can fake endurance for a little bit. But guess what happens over time as we fake those things? We become really cynical, right? We start thinking about ourselves and all the hard work that we're doing. How could you not respect the work that I'm doing? How could you not know that I love you? How could you not know, fill in the blank however you want? But the special thing about the church in Thessalonica is that it wasn't about me. It was, how can I be more like Christ? How can I imitate Christ? And out of that place is where the Thessalonians were doing all of their hard work and all of their enduring and all of their loving. Not about me. It's about Christ. They were imitators of Christ. Their faith, their labor, their work all comes from the place of imitating Christ. Because imitating precedes transformation into Christ. You have to look to Christ as the example and lead that way before we get any transformation in our lives. Because if we rely on ourselves, we're in a bad place. Like I said, we can fake it for a while. But you're ultimately going to end up in a bad place. And the thing is that when we seek to imitate Christ, this happens next. You welcomed the message. This is continuing on in verse 6. You welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. You welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering. And we know the severe suffering they're facing, right? From Acts 17. We know the persecution they were facing, the bad things that were happening all around them. But they were still able to welcome the message in the midst of severe suffering. And I think it's because they were focused on imitating Christ. Therefore, they were able to welcome the message. And there are times when the message of God, and this is kind of what I want to go back to, okay, when I, when I told you to hold that question in your mind, right here, what is the difference between a welcome guest and an unwelcome guest? Sometimes, and I'm, I might be just speaking for myself again, sometimes the message of God, the word of God, even Jesus himself, can be an unwelcome guest to me. And that sounds weird to say, I recognize In the midst of severe suffering, whatever you might be going through, it's not always easy to welcome God into it. And we could sit here and say, why is that? Everybody has their own answer for that. But suffering is suffering. And sometimes, even the most difficult suffering in our lives, we don't recognize that the answer is there, and we don't want to welcome God into it. It can be an unwelcome guest stand at the door and say, you know what, I know that all this stuff I learned about Jesus, I know that it's truth, but I'm not going to welcome you into my house. I'm going to stand outside and say, can you please come back later? Can you please come back when it's more convenient for me? i got to put my kids to bed, right? And we welcome the very thing that we recognize that we can receive life from, we don't want to welcome it into our house. We don't want to welcome it into our lives. We want to keep it at arm's length. Please do not come in. I have not prepared for you. But that's the thing is that when we suffer, that's when we most need it. But when we suffer, that's when we most don't want it sometimes. You ever feel that way? Maybe not. 
And I think this is an appropriate time, and I, and I recognize I'm trying to be very sensitive because I know many of the people in our church right now are suffering. Whether it be family members, whether it be relationships, whether it be depression, whatever it might be, there's people suffering in this room right now that are not opening to welcoming God. And it's not an indictment on who they are, and it's not an indictment on their Christianity or faith. I'm just trying to say this morning that sometimes it can be really difficult to welcome God into your life. And so the question I think that we need to kind of ask ourselves from that is, how do we imitate Christ and welcome the message of God in the midst of suffering? Because it seems that the Thessalonian church was able to do it in the midst of severe How can we do this in our lives? How can we imitate Christ and welcome the message of God in the midst of suffering into our lives today? The first thing I think that we need to do is to recognize that we are first and foremost chosen by God. What does that mean? If we look in 1 Thessalonians 1.4, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. And maybe you're not like me, but when I first became a Christian, I, I, I knew that Jesus loved me. You know, we sing the song as kids. We sing it with our kids. You know, they might be singing it right now in children's worship. I don't know. We know that we are loved by God, but sometimes we don't feel loved by God. Or sometimes we feel like just another random person that happens to be a Christian, another random person that comes here on Sunday morning. But the very fact that God has chosen you should be life-changing. And I'm not saying that we're always going to recognize that. I'm not saying we're always going to feel that way. But if we look in 1 Thessalonians 1.4, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. conviction. He has chosen you. He is with you. And he will always be with you. To recognize that is, is a simple to say it's more difficult to realize. And I'm saying this morning, if you are in the midst of severe suffering, just saying this to yourself over and over again might be a way to remind yourself that, you know what? God does love me. You know what? God has chosen me, and he does care about what happens to me tomorrow. Recognize that we are chosen by God. The second thing is to welcome the spirit of joy. And this is a place I think we also have to be a little delicate. Because I do believe that depression is a real thing. And I believe that people who are in the middle of a depressive time in their life or they've been dealing with it for years, you can't just tell someone that has depression to say, why don't you just be happy? They're not choosing to be in that place. They're not choosing to be sad. They are literally living their lives feeling that they can't get out of that. And I think we, need, as the church, need to recognize that it's not bad, it's just where they're at in this world, this broken world that that can happen to people. But as the church, I want us to kind of visualize this as a door. We've been talking about welcoming people into our houses, and we talk about knocking the door will be open to you when we come to Christ, but sometimes we need to open the door ourselves and say, you know what, whatever joy can come in, let it happen. And ask for joy to come in, and not just joy and simple pleasures, but joy that comes from the Spirit to welcome that into your house. And I know it sounds weird. Why wouldn't you welcome joy into your life? Why wouldn't you welcome the joy that comes from the Spirit? Because in the middle of severe suffering, that seems impossible. Whatever joy that God can give you, 
Just open the door and see what God can do. And if you're in the place where you don't think that's possible, I pray that you find someone in this church and tell them to that, excuse me, tell that to them today. You need help from people who love you and from people who believe this is truth. That can be in your life. You are not alone and you never will be alone. Not just because you have Jesus, but because you got a room full of people. You might not know my name. It's okay. But we are on the same journey together, and we can do this together. Please tell somebody. I'm begging you to please tell someone that you need help in this area. And so that's where we kind of land the plane today. We're not in Thessalonian church. We're the Melbourne church, right? I got my Melbourne colors on today, right? Um... We don't have the same problems that they face. We're not facing the same persecution. But we do experience severe suffering. And Jesus gives us a way to see how he can be in the middle of it with you. And the severe suffering might not disappear, but you will never be alone. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this time. And I just pray that as we read about this church in Thessalonica, that we don't just see it as this faraway place, almost like a fantasy world, but we see it as real people who face real persecution. And God, we recognize we might not face the same troubles, the same we do experience suffering. As a church, help us to be like the Thessalonian church and endure together to chase after love that you can give us and only you can give us and work together that we can recognize that we are chosen by you. And God, help us to open that door into our lives to welcome the spirit of joy that you can give us. Help us to do that collectively and individually today. Jesus, let me pray. Amen. If you have any needs, if you are experiencing some severe suffering, I pray that you come and let us know about it. If you don't want to come forward, don't feel the need to. But again, tell somebody. We want to pray for you. If you want to be baptized, we want to do that too. I'm still living off you know, the spiritual high of baptizing our brother Cecil. That's pretty awesome. If you want to make that commitment in your life, we encourage you too. If you have any needs at all, will you please come while we stand as we sing together?